Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I've got Jerry Ostrowski, really Coach Ostrowski. Thanks for being here. Hey, no problem. Uh, you're, you're old enough now. You can call me Jerry if you Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's almost sounds disrespectful, but uh, anyway... <laughs> Um, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of tell us some back, some background on yourself and growing up in Pennsylvania and what that was like. Bailey, I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's always good to, to visit with, uh, players from the past and yourself, your cousin, obviously Billy, uh, LaFortune and others. I had lunch the other day with Howard Pena. So oh, really? it's always good to catch up with you guys. Yeah. It's good to catch up with you guys and see where you are in life. But, uh, but no, came down here in uh, 1988 as a as a freshman at the University of Tulsa. Had a football scholarship, and um, uh, my parents uh, they moved down here in 1999. Um, you know, I was calculating the other day. I've been in Tulsa, in Oklahoma now, 31 years. So it's been I'm I'm an Okie. I'm a Tulsan uh, more than I am a Pennsylvanian, and uh, we love it down here. Met my wife at TU. She's from Muskogee. We have four kids, three boys and a girl. Uh, my oldest boy is at Drake. He's a senior. Uh, next boy is a freshman at the University of Tulsa. And then we've got the twins here in the house. So uh, this is home. We love it here. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a good place to be. Yeah. We'll talk about as you grow up in Pennsylvania, you know, were you playing sports always growing up? Or how did you kind of get into athletics and football, particularly at a young age? Well, what's funny is I didn't get into football until seventh grade. Um, we had weight limit football back in Pennsylvania. We had what's called Pop Warner football. Okay. So we had weight limit football. So when I was the 125 pounds, I was like nine and all the other kids were like 13. So, <laughs> my, so my, my, my mother and father weren't real hip to me playing football. And so I did everything else. I mean, if there was a, if there was a ball and there was, there was an outcome of who won, who lost, I was playing it. Um, I mean, even other stuff, like I swam, I was on a swim team a couple of years. Um, I played when I was a young kid, I played baseball, which is really my first love, uh, baseball played basketball. And then I played soccer. I was a goaltender. And then in seventh grade, instead of soccer, I played football in the fall. And instead of basketball, I wrestled. So, um, always been an athlete, always loved athletics. Um, my father, was never, I mean, he played softball. He was a pitcher, had a couple of softball teams he played for, and we used to follow them around. And, um, you know, but he was not a, an athlete in college or in high school. He was uh, really, his, his mom and dad had passed away before he was six. So he was grown, he was raised by his grandparents. So, mm. you know, he kind of just raised himself. So it wasn't like he had a lot of direction. I always wondered if he did, what kind of athlete he would be. And my mother, she played a little bit of field hockey, but she wasn't much of a, of an athlete. She was more of a, uh, she was helping her mom and her family. I mean, back then a lot of those kids worked and tried to help around the house and stuff and what she was doing. So, but no, um, born outside of Philadelphia in a town called Marstown, 
home of uh, Tommy Lasorda, Gino Oriyama. Uh, moved up to Pottstown in second grade, but um, you know, played baseball in high school against some guy named Mike Piazza. Um, know Mike really well. Um, so sports were just a big part of my life. Not only just what I did, but also the Philadelphia Eagles, the Flyers, the Sixers, and the Phillies. Um, you know, you're born into it in Philadelphia. Uh, that's where you're from. That's who you cheer for. So um, always, always, always huge in athletics and um, uh, still into this day. Yeah. And, you know, going back to your parents, do you feel like uh, what are the, the values and the things that they instilled in you at a young age that obviously propelled you in, in your career? Um, you know, with a father who didn't have parents, whose parents passed away um, at a very young age, and a mother who was the youngest of, of five kids, and um, her father was her mother's second husband because the first husband died of pneumonia um, after the first three kids were born. Uh, they lived in a three-story three farmhouse on the Rossi Farmhouse there in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. Uh, each family had a level of the house, and then there was a, a basement, which Back then, you know, before, you know, a lot of people didn't have AC and stuff back in PA. So your basement was your summer kitchen. Um, that's where you cooked in the summer. It was the coolest. You kept your, your, you know, you kept your canned goods down there and all that. And then in the, in the wintertime, you use that same stove that you cooked with. Uh, you put wood and, and coal in it and use that to heat the house. So, um, you know, she grew up on a farmhouse. Those were tough people. My mom and dad were very tough people. So from day one, um, there was no time for much sympathy. There was no time for much um, coddling. You know, my mother loved me and she, she expressed that. But, you know, I was taught to be tough from a young age because that's how my, that's how my family was. Not only my mom and dad, but my aunts and uncles and my grandparents. Um, you were tough. You know, my grandfather was a teamster. He had loaded trucks. So I, I learned that at a young age in sports was toughness. Also learned about, um, you know, learned about commitment. Uh, parents were very big on when you start something, you're going to finish it. I don't care if you hate it, but you're going to finish it. Um, that's, you know, I said something earlier about being on the swim team. Uh, me and swimming were not the, <laughs> the greatest combination in the world, uh, you know, but I, I stuck it out and did it because that's what you did. When you made a commitment, you stuck to it. And then probably the third thing is, you know, and it, it also it was funny. I looked back on this not too long ago and I thought about things and why did I end up playing in the NFL? Why did I make it? And it was a, you know, it's a perseverance. Um, when you're cut three times, you have to persevere through tough times. And I learned that perseverance as a young kid. I learned it through sports. So, you know, those three things, toughness, commitment, perseverance are all things I remember learning as a young kid uh, throughout the various, you know, athletic fields. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll definitely touch on those as we get into the show. But, you know, when you're playing football and you start getting into football more in depth, how did you start to realize that, hey, I've got an opportunity to play this at a high level? Um, and when did that come I had out? no clue, Bailey. I had no clue. I'll be, I'm being 100% honest with you. I had no clue. And my parents had no clue because my parents weren't from an athletic. It's not like it is today. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of throw up in my mouth a little bit every now and then when I think about, you know, when Owen was a senior and, and seriously, when Owen's a senior and we're in COVID times and he's got all these visits set up and he can't go because of COVID, he can't go to tryouts, he can't go to camps, he can't go to all these different things. 
and you turn into you turn into a marketing turn into promoter you turn into don king basically and um <laughs> and just thinking of all the different ways that we went on the twitter and instagram to promote owen and and try to get his name out there and you know but back then you didn't do that i mean they didn't have twitter they didn't have cell phones they didn't have all that stuff you got a mailer every now and then and you know a coach actually came to your school to see you it wasn't like you did zoom or or whatever else so um i had no clue man i just knew one thing and the one thing i did know was i was incredibly big i was big since i was born and i was big as a kid and i had size um but as far as you know my mom and dad going hey you need to get out there and you know, go lift and run and get ready for the season. You're going to earn yourself a scholarship to school. No, I mean, my parents' emphasis was you're going to go to college to get a degree so you can get a good paying job. You know, my mom, my mom and dad did a great job as, you know, with me growing up, I'm an only child, but um, they were very frugal. They worked hard. They, you know, trade school degrees. It wasn't, they didn't go to college and um, they did really, really well for themselves to the point where they could retire before the age of 55. And, Mm-hmm. you know, that's what you did. You worked hard and you, you went to school, you tried to get, you know, get your grades. So you go to college and get a degree. And that's, that's what we talked about more than anything. I mean, the whole scholarship thing didn't come into play until I think the summer of my senior year before or going into my senior year of high school, you know, recruiters started coming around wanting to know who this gigantic person was that was playing football and then trying to figure me out, you know, was he just a big kid? Is he young? Is he, you know, what's he going to be? And um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, the the way things are now, it was a lot different back then. Yeah. So how how do you wind up at TU? Talk about that. <clears throat> um, when I was a kid, I told you about sports. When I was, a, you know, my affinity for sports and the, the fact that I liked anything, my, my number one team was Penn State. Penn State? Um, I had a – Honestly, God, I had seven Penn State shirts. Um, and, and that's the only place I ever wanted to go was Penn State. And my senior year, before all this other PWO stuff they do now and everything else, a lot of big-name schools, they did different stuff with walk-ons. Like, for instance, Texas A&M has a 12th man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at one time, I think their entire kickoff team was made of walk-on guys, not just one. Um, Penn State also had something like that. It was their, it was their ten, it was their top ten, their their ten walk-ons. They had this, they made this big to-do about ten guys that they got to walk on, and all this. And uh, I had another teammate uh, on the team that was a very, very good, not only student but but player. He won the uh, the Maxwell Award, which was the uh, which was the high school player of the year in the tri-state area, which is southeastern Pennsylvania, Jersey, and Delaware. And um, <clears throat> guy's name is Rudy Glocker, tremendously successful today. Uh, worked at Goldman Sachs for a while. Just a just a very 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 intelligent person, hell of a businessman. But um, Penn State ended up giving him a scholarship, and they asked me to be a walk on. So you know I had that. Um, Pitt offered me a scholarship. Uh, first of all, as a Penn State fan, the thought of going to Pitt was absolutely <laughs> nauseating. Uh, two, I wasn't real excited about where the school was. Um, it was in a pretty rough part of Pittsburgh and Oakland. Um, so I had that option. I could have gone to Temple. 
uh, Temple, uh, I was offered a scholarship by them. Um, they had a first year coach, um, who had just came over and it was his first head coaching job. And, uh, as a coach, it was an assistant coach at Alabama under Bear Bryant, some guy by the name of, uh, his name was Bruce Arians. <laughs> you can believe that. Uh, so yeah, in 1988, <laughs> his first head coaching job is at Temple. Wow. And now he's a Super Bowl winning head coach with Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I could have gone there and then Rutgers as well. And some other uh, Division twos. Pennsylvania has a heck of a Division two school system. Uh, Westchester, Kutztown, a lot of those schools have guys that are in the NFL. Matter of fact, Andre Reed went to Kutztown. Um, so any of those schools. And then Delaware. Uh, Delaware was one double A. And <clears throat> then I had the Tulsa offer. And the guy that recruited me at Tulsa was a guy named Mark Thomas, who played at Penn State, was from Pits Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh area. And so he recruited the state. And so I told my parents, now I'm 18. I'm not, well, no, I'm not even 18 yet. I'm 17. I didn't turn 18 until two weeks before I got to TU. So I'm 17. I'd never been on an airplane before in my life. And I said to my dad, I said, well, here's what we're going to do. I said, we're going to get on this plane and we're going to go to Tulsa. And if I like it, <clears throat> that's where I'm going to go. And if I don't like it, I'm going to go to Delaware. And he said, okay, because to him, <laughs> He didn't care because all he cared about, the old man knew that he wasn't paying for school. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and my mother was horrified and my grandmother was horrified that they were going to let me go halfway across the country, right? Uh-huh. So to make a long story short, flew out here, liked it, um, accepted the scholarship and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. Well, so, talk about, you know, when you fly out to Tulsa and you decide to go to TU, you know, you'd grown up in Pennsylvania, you've been there your entire life up to that point. What made you choose to make that leap into something way out of your comfort zone? Maybe so, maybe it wasn't. Um, did you have any um, thoughts leading into that? Like, man, I don't know what it's going to be like. Or did you have a good feeling after you went on your visit? Like, hey, this is a good spot for me to be at with some great coaches and obviously some great teammates too. I think the biggest thing I did, and it's funny and, people say this all the time and I'm sure you've heard this from your parents and everybody's heard it from their parents and you're, you're grit, you're, you're wrestling with this decision, right? Um, make a pros and cons list. Okay. Make a list pros and cons. And it seems so cliche and it seems so simplistic, but at the time it's what I needed. And when I wrote everything out and I looked at it, I, there was two, two pros or two cons to going to, to Tulsa. And there's about 18 pros. Um, you know, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to hop in a car and be home in, in a couple hours. Um, I had had a thousand, I had had unadulterated attention for 18, 17 years of my life. <laughs> I was an only child. So I needed to get away. <laughs> okay. My father was big on that. My father felt that to get away, to grow up, I needed to get away. So that was one thing. I mean, really the only, the only two cons I can think of is the distance. If I did want to get back home and maybe not seeing my parents as much or them not being able to come to as many games. Cause you know, my parents did well, but it wasn't like they were, you know, they could just hop on a private and fly to Tulsa whenever they wanted to. Mm -hmm. so um those were like the only cons after that everything was a pro and I just felt it was weird as I, I made a this thing in my head I said concession in my head I said you know what if I can't play at Penn State 
I'll play for somebody that played at Penn State, yeah. which was my line coach. So little did I know that he was going to be so influential in my development uh, and turning into a turning into a, a good player. So uh, that's kind of how my decision to get to Tulsa came to be. Yeah, absolutely. And let's dive into that because you get to Tulsa and obviously you have a great career at TU. You're an All-American. But talk about from day one, you know, what was that like? being with your coaching staff, getting to start developing into the player that you became um, from that day one freshman? Again, I think me being so naive was actually a benefit. Um, I didn't realize a lot of things that maybe others would realize. When I got to see you, to me, it was still football. I mean, I know I was in college. Guys were bigger. Guys were faster. But it was still football. I mean, it's just that's what I was doing. It was kind of a dumb adolescent maybe even slightly immature way of looking at it but you know I was playing football again it just was halfway across the country in a strange place but um you know the more I started practicing the more I started playing um I kind of you know things started coming a little bit easier and it was a weird deal for me because I came into TU in, in 88 and obviously the same class with Brian Thompson Coach BT and a, and a bunch of others. And those were my friends. But at the same time, without knowing it, they were already trying to, the, the coaching staff was trying to groom me to get me to be able to play. And so, you know, I talk about this with Owen all the time. Owen's in a situation where they're stacked at defensive line right now, you know, and he's going to, you know, probably redshirt. He's getting, he's learning things that I didn't have a chance to learn. He's getting to, to he, he's learning through things. He's learning through situations. He's, he's having an opportunity to get out there and, and do some scout team work, which is great. Um, he's got an opportunity to be with his friends. Uh, it's just different. You know, I mean, he, it's, I kind of went from showing up to now all of a sudden I'm rotating every couple, every couple series. And, it was a little different. I, there wasn't any time to really sit around and grow up. I mean, it was time to go play. And I had a coach named Mark Thomas, who was, you know, it's funny how when you get recruited by coaches, it's different from when you get recruited to when you start playing, because, you know, (laughs) they're not so nice to you all the time (laughs) anymore, you know? Yeah. All of a sudden you get yelled at and, 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 and Mark was a, I mean, he was tough, man. I mean, it was all day, every day. But his theory was, I am going to get you to a point where anything that you feel in the game is vacation compared to what you deal with all week long in practice. And so that games are actually comfortable and stress-free. And that's kind of how we, you know, that's how we learn. That's that's how we learned back then. And um he was the number one most influential coach I've ever had. Uh, he taught me how to play. Uh, he taught me how to play with an edge. Uh, he taught me, <clears throat> I guess you could, for lack of better terms, you could say the nastier side of, of offensive line play, the intimidating side of it. Um, and, uh, you know, after that freshman year, I, I was rotating for about five or six games, and then I finally got to start. And then I started for one or two games and got mono and was out for three or four weeks before I came back at the end. So 
Um, obviously, I'm sure those numbers don't add up, but that's kind of how it went. <laughs> and um, so that led me into my sophomore year and, you know, uh, you know, starting and stepping right in. So, yeah, but no, it's it's um, it's definitely it's, it's definitely a journey. It's it's tough for it's it's tough. I mean, when you go from high school to college, it's a tough transition. Absolutely. When you talk about your coach being very influential in your life, but also, you know, within practice, preparing you for the games to make it hopefully an easy transition where it feels easier yeah. than in practice. And it goes into preparation. So also within preparation is having confidence. And do you feel like you naturally had confidence in your abilities as a person when you came into college? Or was it something that gradually grew because you had a guy like Coach Thomas that prepared you every single day? and gave you the tools to go be successful whenever game time came around? I, I think that all great players have a little bit of self-doubt in the back of their mind. Um, I know that, I know that self-doubt motivated me. Um, there's, it's funny. I always, I always, a lot of times I always feel, even the guys like Ray, the Ray Lewis's of the world, there's a little spot in the back of their mind that they're scared of failing. They're scared of letting people down. They're scared of not becoming what maybe others think they should be. And if you have that, you always have that drive, I think. And sometimes I may have had that to a fault, but it was what motivated me because I always, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about this before, but I feel that all people that are great have a trigger and there's something in their life that they can go to when they, when they wake up in the morning and they don't want to roll out of bed. Uh, they walk into the weight room and they know they've got to give great effort, but they don't want to do it because they don't feel like doing it. Um, they know they got to put a X amount of time into a test because it's a class it's hard. And if they don't do well in it, they're not going to, you know, there's all these things and you, every somebody that's great has a trigger. Something that something that gets them through those tough times. And to me, my trigger was always my family. It was always my father. It was always my mother. I never wanted to let them down. I never wanted my father to have to take a phone call and his buddy be on the other line going, well, what happened? What's the deal? Why is he back home in Pennsylvania? Why, why didn't it work out? And I never wanted that to happen. And that was my trigger. Um, you know, I just think that we all have that. And all the greats, all the greats, I think, have something like that. They have that fear of failure. They have that fear of letting somebody down. They have that fear of going back to maybe living the way they used to live, and they didn't want to live that way anymore. Um, so, you know, that's – I know that athletes come across a lot of times, and a lot of people come across a lot of times with a lot of – confidence and bravado and an edge to him and you think man I wish I was like that guy man he's got it all together mm -hmm. I'm telling you in the back of his mind he's doubting things and that doubt is what sets him through mm -hmm. and a lot of times what you see on the front is just window dressing if you could really get inside of him and look at him and, and see what he's going through um, you'd appreciate a little more and you'd realize that hey man that guy's just like He's just like the rest of us, you know? Yeah. The difference is genetically his mom and dad, when, when they came together, gifted him a little more than <laughs> maybe some others. But, um, you yeah. know, uh, 
that's another great story. One of my first conversations ever with uh, ever with your uncle. I, that was my favorite. <laughs> we, we can tell that at some point if you want. My <laughs> my talk with Bill LaFortune about genetics. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, we should have no, you guys mic'd up on that. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you exactly where it was. I knew exactly where it was. It was when <laughs> it was it was when Billy and it was when Billy and um, uh, Frizzell came over from from Cashy because they thought that they were Charles Barkley and John uh, <laughs> Stockton when really they didn't realize they were, they were football players and they were going to find out real quick that they were football players at Holland Hall too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Sperry, Sperry holiday tournament in Sperry, Oklahoma. Oh yeah. My uncle pins me up against the wall and says, what do we got to do to get Billy to be, to be a division one football player? <laughs> I said, well, I can coach a lot of things, Bill, I can coach effort. I can coach toughness. I can coach nastiness, but there's one thing I can't coach. And he said, what's that? I go, genetics. It's not my fault that you and your wife came together and had. <laughs> That's awesome. That is but a great story. It was, it was the start of a great, it was the start of a great friendship with that family. Uh, I love the LaFortunes to death, Bill. I love Kathy to death, um, you know, and then of course, Billy did what he did and, Proved us all wrong and went on to the University of Tulsa and was a very, very uh, good football player there at TU. So, but no, it's um, yeah, that's always one of my favorite stories. Yeah, well, I love I love what you talked about about having those triggers and how all great, great athletes and, and individuals in general they have that little ounce of self doubt. I think we all have some self doubt, but it's like, what is the trigger that lets you push into that and right. make you better rather than take you back and just take you in a whole different direction. Um, and I was going to ask you too, just based upon what do you think it is that obviously you talked about what separates great people, but also what is the things that holds people back from not pressing into maybe that trigger and really going backwards instead of forwards? Probably believing the, maybe believing the things to have doubt about believing them. Um, I don't believe there there's a lot of people that are close to it, but I don't believe there's a perfect athlete in this world. Um, everybody works through something. Um, you know, nobody just wakes up and they have it. Uh, so you have to, you have to be able to work through those sticking points that you have. And you also have to be open-minded enough and understand that, you know what, I can get through those things with work and effort. And, and actually a lot of times, you know, you know, a lot of times you, you're not going to overcome some of that stuff. You just have to learn how to, how to, you know, play around it and, and deal with it. Some of your greatest players that have ever played are guys that are very, very limited athletically or size wise or whatever, but they have learned ways to work around those things. So I think the thing that holds people back is, is, is having those, they don't, they don't quite attack those self-doubts, but also it's, it's just the fear also the fear of maybe failing or the fear of putting yourself out there and failing in a, in a, in a public uh, forum, so to speak. Um, it takes a lot of guts to walk out onto a court or a field and, and play in front of a, a bunch of fans and a bunch of people at any level, not just professionally or college. I'm talking all the way down to six, seventh you know, little kids. I mean, it, it's, it takes a lot of guts to do that. And um, I think sometimes people just won't allow themselves to fail. They're just scared to fail and they won't allow themselves to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back. yeah, that's great. And going back to your time at TU, you had a, a great career and you obviously had an opportunity to get drafted. What was that like? Um, because I know uh, from hearing a few things, you know, you kind of anticipated getting drafted earlier and you're kind of a little bit disappointed in, in where you went in the draft. Talk about something that you obviously had worked so hard to get to. You had great success and you had the opportunity to play, but at the same time, there's a little disappointment there and dealing with that disappointment and not necessarily letting it push you backwards, but like taking it and using it as an advantage, like, hey, I'm going to go prove that I can play and um, in that, that regard. You know, the draft situation my senior year was the one time in my life that I allowed myself to believe that I was something maybe that I wasn't. Um, we just come off of a 10 and two season. Uh, I was again, I was a first team consensus all American. Um, I was feeling pretty good about myself and it's probably the first time in my life that I allowed myself to kind of get caught up in, in all this. And after everything was said and done, and I'll, I'll backtrack here in a second. My, my life athletically was similar from high school to, to college to pro. I mean, when I was in high school, um, I did not start my, uh, I played a little bit, played some varsity in my, my senior, my sophomore year. But my junior year, they had picked another person to play def- play on the defensive line instead of me. I was on the bench again my junior year. And I was playing uh, – I was playing some offensive line. But in the first game, the guy that they had wanted to play and handpick and all that stuff, he made three big-time mistakes. And finally, finally they said, okay, put a Strasky in. And I never left the field. College was the same thing. I came in and I was under recruited. I wasn't recruited by a lot of teams. Um, end up Tulsa. Um, you know, Mark's Mark's recruiting uh, theory then was to you. You know, you tried to bring you know as many big dudes in as you can. If you bring five in, and you hit on one or two, then you've done well. And so he gave me a chance because of my size, and ended up starting the end of my my freshman year and then start all the way through never missing a game. So why I thought this NFL journey was going to be anything different from what I had been through my entire life is beyond me because that's not how I was built. And so it's the only time and I'm, and I was, you know, I look back at, it, I'm frustrated. I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed, but you know, I got allowed myself to get caught up in it. So I don't get picked until the 10th round. Okay. They're, they don't even have 10 rounds anymore. And I got picked by Kansas City. And um, this is where the whole perseverance thing comes in. I go to Kansas City and um, very unceremoniously, I mean, there's no big interviews or no. To tell you the honest story, my roommate, Fallon Way Casey, who came to Tulsa as a basketball player, he plays one year under J.D. Barnett, quits and goes to football and plays tight end for three years. And then his last year was Tubby Smith's first year. So Tubby called him in and said, look, man, I need you to do me a favor. I need a big man. He goes, I need 20 minutes and five fouls. Can you do that? <laughs> okay, you're not going to play more than 20 minutes. And I and if you don't get five fouls, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and Fallon's like, sure. So Fallon plays basketball. 
And the only reason he was working out for scouts is because TJ Ridley at the time, our quarterback would always pick Fallon to catch the ball because Fallon caught everything. So the Cowboys come up to work Fallon or to work TJ out. And they're like, who's this six, eight creature that's playing tight end. Fallon's asleep in bed <laughs> and the phone rings in the sixth round and he gets picked out of Cowboys. Really? So here's okay. my roommate that he even, he don't even know what's going on. He <laughs> gets picked, you know, four rounds before I do. So anyway, to make a long story short, if you really get down to it, it's about the opportunity in the NFL. You just got to get onto a, into a camp. And then once you get into a camp, you got to work and you got to get the, the right situation. And um, Kansas City obviously wasn't the right situation. They drafted three linemen. Uh, they cut two of the three. They put one on the practice squad. The two that they cut were me and a guy named Jay Lewenberg, who was a center from Colorado and an All-American. We met each other at the All-American, Bob Hope All-American show. And because uh, at the time, Bob Hope would have his Christmas special, and then every year he had the AP All-Americans on. Um, so we both get cut. Uh, after that year, um, the guy that Kansas City kept, they cut him. He never played football again. And me and Lewenberg played a combined like 19 years in the league. <laughs> so obviously, why does that happen? Well, it's perseverance. I mean, I got cut by Kansas City, went, sat out that whole year, went to Atlanta, was there the whole preseason. They cut me. Then with six games left in the season, I get signed by the Bills on their practice squad. I was back at TU working in the uh, athletic department. I was breaking down film or something, and Dwight Adams, who was the director of player personnel at the time, was in there scouting, and we had struck up a friendship, and he's like, look, we got a practice squad spot open, and I want you to have it. We'll call you if it opens. And they called and uh, went up to, to Buffalo with two bags on an airplane, lived in a hotel for the first, like, 10 weeks I was up there. Uh, finish the season out, they go to the Super Bowl, lose the last one, go through the preseason, get cut again. So now I've been cut three times. They bring me back on the practice squad, and then I get called up with four games left, and the rest is history. But, you know, uh, <clears throat> I just don't – it's funny. Like, everybody has a certain thing, like, that they go through. And and our little family motto is, you know, is the Strosky stick together. And they stick together because they're tough people. And we talked about that at the beginning. And um, so the journey that I had – I just find it silly that I would actually sit there and go, yeah, man, you're going to give you a first or second round pick and you're going to do this. You're going to do that. No, you're not. That's not how your journey works. I mean, that's not <laughs> how this has worked since the beginning. Right. So, but I'm very grateful for all those things that I, I went through because it, it did set me up for, for later in life and throughout my career and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to unpack in, in all those stories, but you talked about being in high school and when your opportunity came, you took advantage of it and you didn't look back. And you get to college, same type of deal. And then obviously in the NFL, you didn't quit whenever, you know, the going got a little bit tough and you had some obstacles right. in your way, but you kept persevering and persevering and persevering. And eventually when you had that opportunity, you made the most of it. You didn't look back and, you know, you had all those games that you played and those experiences and those wouldn't have happened had you not persevered through it, had you not had mental toughness, had you not yeah. developed those things at a young age, um, kind of from the example of your parents and, and playing sports. Um, and it's really interesting to look back on people's stories and, and see those little moments. Like there's little moments in everyone's story where it's like, 
it's like a fork in the road where they choose to keep going or they choose to divert. And it's really interesting to watch and see the people that keep pressing in and pressing in. And then also, it's kind of interesting to think about too, in people's stories, like there's forks in the road. And sometimes it's a, it's necessary to pivot into another direction. And how do you yeah, decipher that, right? Definitely. But at the same time too, it's like, what what is the right decision to keep going or to pivot and move in a different direction? But obviously perseverance plays a big factor in having good people around you to help discern and make decisions uh, to keep going See, or that, maybe pivot. What you just said was a huge part of that is it's a lot easier to persevere when you have good people around you that are supportive of you and will tell you the truth. Um, you know, I think, I think that two of the biggest things you can ever do is, you know, especially as a coach, and I know you've coached and this goes back to lessons I've learned, but without toughness, you have nothing. Okay. Without toughness, you have nothing. And that's not just sports. That's anything in life. Okay. If you are not tough. And I remember Brett Favre one time talking about this and what he learned from his father and someone saying, man, Brett, you are the most physically tough quarterback I've ever seen play. And he stopped the person. He said, look, he said, without mental toughness, you can't have physical toughness. And, and mental toughness and toughness in general is, is number one. Without it, you have nothing. Because you're going to – you are going to – there is something going to happen in your professional life, your everyday life, your family life, whatever. There is going to be something – you are going to you are going to face trials to where if you are not tough, you will not make it. It's just not, it's just the way it is. Yeah. And the other thing is it's truth. You've got to have people to tell you the truth around you. It's probably our biggest mistake as parents nowadays. Um, my kids will tell you, um, if they want to know the truth, don't go ask dad, because dad's going to tell you the truth. I mean, I remember the I remember the day that I told Jackson when Jackson came up, he says, Dad. Can I play division one football? And I didn't hesitate. I said, no, you can't. And I know I broke his heart, but I did not, I was not going to have a kid walking around with these inflated ideas or things, you know, I'm like, you know what? You're not, but there are a lot of opportunities out there for you, Jackson, to continue to play football and be very, very successful and have a great time doing it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's where we went from there. So you know, the toughness aspect and then the truth aspect, you know, I had a lot of people, Steve August is a person, uh, University of Tulsa alum, first round pick of the Seahawks, uh, tremendous football player. He was working at the University of Tulsa at the time. And one day, I'll never forget this, we talked about this a couple months ago. I was helping him, we're, we're getting ads for the, for the football uh, program. And we're cold calling businesses and all that. And I was in his office with him and I had a list of businesses to call and he was calling and we're working the phones and I kind of hung the phone up and leaned back and he hung the phone up and leaned back and he looked at me, he goes, what are you doing here? I go, what do you mean? What am I doing here? I'm trying to get ads for the program. He goes, no, what are you doing here? He goes, you're good. He goes, you're too good to be here. He goes, you can play. He goes, if you have an opportunity to play, you need to play. And not long after that, the Bills opportunity came along. And I get on an airplane on a Sunday night or a Sunday. I'm sorry. It was Monday morning. I get on an airplane with two bags. I fly to Buffalo. Uh, I take my physical. I get picked up. They take me to the hotel. I get my physical on Tuesday. I work out Tuesday afternoon. I sign a practice squad contract on Wednesday morning. I practice Wednesday afternoon. 
and I was there for 10 straight years. <laughs> All within that week. All right? within that week. Not even that conversation. Week, yeah. Four or five days. Yeah. And, you know, it's how it happens. But your training from all these other years prepare you for when the opportunity comes, you're ready for it. So, um, I just know if you look at my kids and my wife's the same way, cause she's, she's very much like me. If you look at Owen, you look at Jackson, um, you're not going to break them cause they're tough, tough kids are tough minded people. And that's how they were taught. And, you know, like I said, without it, you have nothing. And that's, that's where the foundation is built upon. Yeah, so. absolutely. And that's, you know, that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about as we as you talk about just toughness. How do people go about developing mental toughness? Because it's something we talk about all the time, but what are ways that you can do that? Because obviously the experiences that you go through shape you and that's how you develop it through those experiences. But when you're about to be going through those things or you're in those moments, how do you develop that? I think you have to allow yourself again. It's kind of what we talked about earlier about people that don't maybe aren't successful and what holds them back. Um, toughness is developed because you allow yourself to be in situations that, that, you know, provide and groom opportunity to be tough. And, um, you know, you've got to, you've got to allow yourself to go out there and fail. I mean, I can tell you right now, I know my first, the first biggest failure I had as an athlete was in ninth grade. We were undefeated for like three or four seasons in a row. And we were playing our tribal spring forward. And I sailed a punt snap over the punter's head and we lost seven to six or eight to six. And that was my biggest failure at my first failure that I remember. Um, and you know what? I was in that situation and I, I said to myself, you know what? It's not going to, it's not going to happen again. Um, I remember being in Buffalo and going out and giving up two sacks in, in the first quarter and getting sat on the bench uh, until the second half um, and persevered through it. Um, I've had instances at Tulsa where maybe I didn't play as well. So I think the whole thing about it is it's just like lifting weights, right? If I want to get stronger, I got to do what? I got to go in a weight room and I got to bang weights. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with toughness. You've got to put yourself in situations that will, that will allow you to be a tough minded person. Um, and also too, I think, uh, especially with our kids nowadays, we have to have parents that allow our children to fight through tough situations and not just be hover parents and rescue them every chance you get. Um, you've got to allow your kids to have a little bit of adversity because, uh, you know, adversity breeds toughness. And so, you know, there's so many cliches that you can say, but that's probably the biggest thing to me is you've got to allow yourself to be in those situations. And when you do, and when I say it, it just can be any situation. I mean, sure. I mean, there's people that, I mean, there's people that have, uh, um, they have fear of crowds. So they decide to go sing in the, in the church choir or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, be, you know, write poetry and do spoken word stuff just to force themselves to be in positions where they're speaking in front of people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just, you gotta, if you want to be strong at something, you got to train. And if you want mental toughness, you got to train in that, in that world and allow yourself to, to be in those situations. Yeah. Just kind of putting yourself in <clears throat> those uncomfortable situations and 
and obviously learning from those situations. And when you go through it, it's not going to happen next time. And every time yeah. you keep building and building and building and building. Um, real quickly, is we, I just want to dive into your time in Buffalo. I want to dive into your time as a coach too. I want to talk about leadership and culture. Like obviously you were a part of some great teams. You had some uh, you know great people around you, some great coaches. And obviously coaching wise, you were also around great coaches and being able to to develop leadership skills to the guys that you coached. What, you know, what are the things in, in terms of culture? Like what was the culture like up there and how do you go about developing a really good culture? I think the culture in Buffalo was that of a very, very talented, very, very veteran oriented football team. You got to understand when I got up there, it was the, the last of their four Super Bowls. So this is a group of, this is a group of players where between players and front office people and owners, um, if you go Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith, Marv Levy, Bill Polian, Ralph Wilson, right there is seven Hall of Famers, seven guys that you can go to Canton, Ohio and look at their bust. And then you've got other guys like Steve Tasker, who could very well be in the Hall of Fame. Cornelius Bennett, who could very well be in the Hall of Fame. Daryl Talley, who could be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, so there's 10. So when you look at those Bills teams, most of that leadership came from inside that locker room. Marv, Marv was amazing. Marv was like, Marv was like what your mom, how your mom handles situations as a pair, as opposed to what your dad does. Your dad wants every situation handled immediately and in a straight line, right? From A to B. They don't care if there's conflict. They don't care if there's crying or argumentative stuff. They want it done and they want it done now, right? Where mom goes from A to B, but there's a curve and a loop and maybe there's a snack and there's whatever, but she gets to be a lot more efficiently than you do. Okay. <laughs> And with a lot less, with a lot less attitude and a lot less crying and everything else. Yeah. And a lot more peace, right? She does a much better job of it than you do um, with your directness. And what Marv was really, really good at was managing egos. Um, that locker room, when you have seven Hall of Famers or, you, you know, five of them are players, there's a lot of really, really sure, you know, yeah. people in that locker room. And Marv was really good at getting everybody to do what they needed to do um without causing a bunch of problems uh, marv never addressed any disciplinary issue in front of the team everything was behind closed doors marv never addressed anything in the press everything was behind closed doors um he treated you like a man and therefore he wanted you to act like a man hmm. so when i rolled up there i think probably your biggest thing as a young player is at some point in time somebody has to grab you or a group of people have to grab you and teach you how to be a pro. Um, I can't tell you how many people came through those doors in Buffalo that were better athletes than me. And it probably at some point could have been a better player than me, but they didn't understand how to be a professional and handle their business. And there was always an issue. Um, luckily for me, I came up there on the practice squad and, and learned from a guy named Kent Hull. Um, Kent's no longer with us, but Kent was a guy that played in the USFL for the New Jersey Generals and then eventually was in Buffalo um, and was the, the rock of our offensive line. He was our starting center and played a long, long time. 
<clears throat> he's another guy that can be in the Hall of Fame. But he taught you, he taught us, taught me how to be a professional, taught me how to be a pro. And, um, you know, that's the biggest thing. If you have to, if you have to have a head coach be a babysitter all the time, um, that's tough. I mean, it's tough. I mean, you need a, you know, obviously your head coach needs to discipline when he needs to discipline. He needs to um, get on players when he needs to get on players. But I think most of your great teams have a tremendous amount of leadership that come from the player group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you're playing on these teams, you've got great leadership. What was it like to go through those experiences where now you're on a, a team that has had tremendous success, Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl, right. you hop on, you get a chance to, to play. And what are some experiences that you remember just looking back that were a lot of fun to look back on? I think the the thing that I learned more from from that Buffalo Bills group than anything, and Marv was really really adamant about this, and it now has become a it's become a cliche, and you hear it all the time. But at the time, you never heard it much. But Marv was very very adamant about the point where the guy that comes in the locker room and picks up the dirty towels and takes them to the to the equipment room to clean, or the guy that's the clubhouse attendant and picks up all the tape and the cups and the trash off the floor, which really shouldn't be on there to begin with, but he has to clean the locker room. That guy is me. That guy's an extension of me. Okay. If, if that guy's not clean in the locker room, the locker room's disgusting. We don't have what we need. Guys are in filth. Maybe somebody gets sick. It affects everybody from the bottom up. And Marv was adamant about that, that you treat everybody the exact same. Everybody's a vital part of this group. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that's probably the biggest thing I learned was, was that we're all, you know, and it's, it's hard sometimes when you talk, when you've been in sports your whole life, because it is very cliche driven, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of cliches. And if you listen to coaches and stuff, you, you, you laugh sometimes because you can hear the same things said quite a bit, but uh, in this in this aspect or this this situation, it holds true. Um, you know, everybody needs to hold the rope. You guys are all in this together, and that's not saying that guys can't have grievances or guys can't be chippy one day, or you know, maybe even fight in practice. Um, <clears throat> that happens, right? I mean, yeah. we're all men. We're all you're in a very volatile uh, sport. You're out there playing. I mean, there's high stakes. It's competitive. Uh, high yeah. dollars. It's competitive. You know, but at the end of the day, we're all in this together and we're all we're all just as important as anybody else. And and the guy that comes in and and, uh, you know, cleans our cleans our helmets is just as important as Jim Kelly calling plays in the huddle. And, um, you know, I that's one of that's probably the first thing I learned in Buffalo that was really, really I don't, want, I don't know if I want to say eye opening, but it was definitely it was definitely something that I was paid a lot of attention to. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great point. You know, so you, as you decide, we talked about earlier about kind of like deciding to, to change directions. You have a great NFL career. You decided to pivot into, into something else. How did you get into coaching and why did you get into coaching and being a coach? Well, I got into coaching because it was the closest thing to playing and I couldn't play anymore. So I was going to coach. Yeah. It's that simple. <laughs> um, you know, I love to play. I played football from the time I was um, in seventh grade until I was about 32 or 33 years old. Uh, it's all I knew. Um, 
you know, playing in front of 80,000 people was an amazing feeling, you know? And then one day you wake up and you go up into in front of a microphone and you say, I retire and that's it. And there is no gradual, you know, it's not like your pops. It's like, Hey, you know, I'm going to, yeah. son, I'm going to let you kind of handle some of the ins and outs of the day. I'm going to ease my way into retirement, you know, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, you know, all those things. And, um, there was none of that. You burn hot, you burn, you burn red, hot, white, hot for a long time. And then all of a sudden the fire goes out and Stop. now you're sitting there looking around going, damn, what do I do now? <laughs> And uh, besides go see your therapist, <laughs> you find things to do like coaching. And um, I was blessed because, you know, Brian Thompson is one of my best friends. Um, you know, and you want to talk about a guy that'll tell you the truth. That's why I still love Brian to this day. He'll always have my back and he's, he's a tough individual and he will tell me the truth. Um, has since the first day we met, since we went in his – in his scout and he took me to taco bueno for the first time <laughs> my first meal in tulsa was taco bueno my second meal was was rex's chicken i thought i was in heaven yeah but, um, <laughs> little fry bread exactly fry bread and honey. so you know i go over there and, and i knew tag i knew a tag brian underwood was there i played with brian and dave owens was there i played with dave and it just kind of fit and uh, then i got coaching and the you know all of a sudden, like, hey, it's not – I'm not running in a funny car anymore, but at least I'm in something that somewhat resembles a car anyway, at least. Yeah. Um, and it was good. I mean, it, it felt good to be back on the field again and in another capacity, and that's kind of how I started coaching. What did you enjoy most about coaching? <clears throat> Building relationships with my players. And of not nothing else is as great as that. Um building relationships with players and then watching those players who absolutely had no confidence or thought that they couldn't do something, teach them to be successful when they are successful. And then watching the happiness on their faces when they are successful. Um, nothing will ever beat that because there was a lot of guys I coached that um, for lack of better terms, probably, you know, you're talking hall and hall. So we have guys, you know, everybody likes to put us in a position. They say, Hey, you get this guy. Yeah, really? I, I could give you a list of about 40 guys that I coached and won a lot of football games with that you would not win football games with. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a slight against them. Again, yeah. that's, that goes back to the whole bill of fortune conversation. You know, <laughs> you talk about genetics, right? Uh -huh. You know, sports is a funnel. Sports is a funnel. When you're five years old, you're at the widest part of the funnel, right? Yeah. And by the time you end, that funnel's about that big, you know? Real small. And yeah, it's real small. So, <clears throat> but no, I that's what I enjoyed the most. I loved it because the kids were all smart, right? Mm -hmm. So they were crazy smart. Most of them, Maybe right? not gifted. <laughs> What's that? I said most of What's them, that? right? Yeah, most, most of them. them. Yeah. Most of them. <laughs> The faculty's kids are always the ones that aren't. Um, but seriously, in all seriousness, I kid. Yeah. Um, you know, these kids were all smart as hell. Um, maybe not super gifted, but they worked hard. Mm -hmm. And most of them, they were they were they were pleasers. They wanted to they wanted to do well, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you have that combination, it's deadly. It's deadly. 
you can, as an offensive line coach, you can take those kids and win a lot of games with them because, you know, they're going to do what you want them to do. And the cool part was, it's funny. I was, I told the story to my wife the other night. It's funny because when you come in and you're like, you've got this NFL background and you're going to go ahead and we're going to step this way and fit this way. And we're going to call the mic and we're going to do this. And yeah. I'm like, uh, hold on a second. I, I don't know if that person is physically able to do that. <laughs> yeah. Not in a bad way. They just, their body will not allow them to do that. So now what happens? I have to come up with a way to get them to be where I want them to be. And I love it. I mean, that was the most, the original, the original SPC years, I'd say all the way up to when you guys were, uh, you would have been seniors, I guess, when it was the, the Brad Craig Thorpe mm-hmm. and all that. Those the four right that was right before the SPC got silly and it became an arms race and they were just pulling kids from wherever and they were putting these super teams together and yeah you know they're pulling kids out of a city that's got thirty three point five million and we've got seven you know it just yeah <clears throat> when the SPC got it, it became for everything it shouldn't be that football was awesome mm-hmm. because it's what it was it was pure man it was just it was Friday night football man it was you went out and you played and Everybody played, everybody contributed, because that's what the beautiful part of football is, is that if you work hard enough and you stay around and you learn, there is a spot for you. They'll find, I don't know what it is, but we'll find something you can do and do well. Mm-hmm. And um, I love those days. Those days were awesome. And I, I was one that didn't mind the bus trips. Yeah. I kind of thought bus trips were cool. Yeah, it um, was fun. It was different. You know, yeah. it was definitely different. Yeah. Well, you know, t- talking about building relationships, you talked earlier about Howard Pena that you, you met with for lunch. Like, and that, that's the type of difference that you can make as a coach 10 years later, whatever it is, 15 years later, you're still meeting with that guy. So you made an impact on him that he wants to come back and, and uh, just be around you. So that's obviously says a lot, not just what you said, but it speaks volumes for what you meant. But it, it goes back to, and it's, it goes back to the truth factor. I think that when you look at all those guys and, as you know, that group, the Sw- Howard was part of the Swag Five. Swag Five, yeah. Uh, I still have that picture on my on my uh, up on my shelves in my living room. That's awesome. Um, you know, but I was I was hard on those kids when I coached them, but I loved them up just as much as I as I was hard on them, and I was always honest with them, and um, and they were always honest with me for the most part, and it just goes back again to building those relationships where. You know, I'm excited about going to Will Thompson's wedding. It's coming up. I love going to have lunch with, you know, get to see Howard, talk to talk to Billy at a football game or, you know, see Ross Woodard. And mm-hmm. uh, even guys from back in the day, you know, uh, Nick Gates, uh, he married now with a kid and get to see his kid and how happy mm-hmm. Nick is, how good of a daddy is. Uh, those things are really rewarding. They're really cool. Um and that's probably now, now that I don't coach, it's probably the one thing that I miss more than anything is those relationships with the, with the players. Yeah. And going into family, what is it meant to be a good husband and a good father? You know, it's funny. Um, all the things that you need to be a professional athlete are probably the worst traits you can have to be a good husband and a good father. <laughs> um, I'm being serious. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying it tongue. I mean, I'm being serious. And it's one of the reasons why I, I, I did go and 
talk to a therapist because, you know, you're in a highly competitive male driven egotistical world. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a unrealistic, you know, you're not in reality. You're living in this, this mic, this little enclosed world that you're playing sports in. Sure. You know, and you have to be selfish. You have to have ego. You got to have anger and some rage to you. You got to have all those things to this bitter competitive competitiveness that no matter what's going on, you're going to win. And that's great when you're playing football, because when you play football, you get that out of you from, you know, you're there in the stadium before seven and you go home at six and you have all day to beat that out of your body. So when you come home, you know, you're tired and you want to see your wife and you want to see your kids and you want to sit on the couch and, and hang out. But when you don't have football, now where does that all go? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't argue with your spouse to the point that it's so competitive that the only thing that matters is you win, mm-hmm. not, you know, what's the compromise or, and all those things. So, you know, the selfishness of, of, of being an athlete. So all those things are not conducive. So you got to kind of beat those out of your system a little bit or yeah. maybe tamp them down. But no, I mean, it's, you learn teamwork, you know, marriage and family is, is, is a team aspect of you learn teamwork. You learn, you know, you learn how to do that. You learn, again, you have the toughness factor because you are going to go through things in your family that are going to be trying times. Um, Owen, Owen had a, a, a rough, a rough time of it, a rough uh, delivery and at seven months was diagnosed with, with kidney cancer. Um, you know, so you go through times like that. So there are a lot of things that you learn through sport that can help, but there's also some things that you need to clear up before, before they become an issue. And, mm-hmm. um, so no, it's, uh, it does take a little bit of an adjustment period. Yeah. One thing that I always remember too, just being back in the day is, you know, your, your kids were always around, you know, they're always yeah. present around you. And so you implemented what you were doing and your kids and your family really well with that. And I know that probably played a, a big a part in their life, just being around dad, being around the guys. It was a good um, way to integrate family and what your work was at the time. I was blessed in the fact that we had some, we have some real, and they're still there. We've got some really, really good men that are, coaches and teachers at Holland Hall. Um, you know, we talk about Tag, BT, Underwood, um, Phil Muir, who is one of my best friends and a guy that I will, you know, do anything for. Those guys were very vital in my kids growing up. But the other aspect of it was, and you guys don't realize at the time, they came around you guys for a reason because you were good kids. And they needed to see kids. They needed to see people closer to their age. They needed to to look at at the Baileys and the Billy LaFortunes and the and the Nick Gates and the and those guys and know that, you know, if you ask Owen, if you ask Owen Ostrowski when he was a young kid, what did he always want to be? He didn't want to be a Buffalo Bill. He wanted to be a Holland Hall Dutch football player. Yeah, that's what he wanted to be. Uh, I've got young. I've got pictures of young Owen uh, sitting on Nick Gates's lap. I mean, and same thing with Billy. Uh-huh. My wife. We talked about it last night. We laugh. Um, you know, he asked his mother 
if he could invite Billy to his <laughs> birthday party. That's awesome. Okay. Uh-huh. That was his boy. Like they were buds. Um, but that's what I wanted. I, I wanted them to be around the guys and a good group of guys. And we're blessed that, you know, those kids got to do it. I've those end of the season books that Shirley Sokolowski would put together and them on the field, you know, trying to carry a water bottle and giving it to the guys. And uh, it's special. And that's another was another huge advantage of coaching was being able to have my, my, my boys around a good group of young men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we wind it down, I've got a little fire around, so I'll just say the sentence and you can finish it with a, a word or a sentence. Oh, that's ought to be good. Yeah. I understand my mind. I got a 51 year old mind. That's it acts like it's 85 at times. So. We'll go slow for you then. <laughs> yeah. What's fast for you might not be real fast for. Okay. Yeah. You can do anything. If <laughs> you can do anything. If, um, if you put in the work. Grit is. Grit is going out and performing when you are not feeling 100%. Favorite vacation spot? Favorite vacation spot is, oof. I would say somewhere on a, because there's multiple spots, somewhere on a, on a really good tropic, on a really good Caribbean beach. Okay. So, that's probably the toughest question right there. So yeah. Focus is, excuse me. Focus is. Focus is, is setting everything around you aside and, and being completely emerged in the situation at hand. Awesome. Favorite uh, professional experience. Favorite professional experience would be Sunday night football, uh, Miami, Florida. My first game as a Buffalo Bill uh, was put on the active roster that week, uh, not thinking I was going to play, going in in the second quarter and playing the entire rest of the game uh, and winning against the the Dolphins on Sunday night and getting a game ball after the game. And um, and then that was basically the catalyst and start jump start of my career. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. It all comes down to. Ooh, it all comes down to. It all comes down to uh, preparing properly for the opportunity that you've been given. Awesome. We're done with the fire round. You can breathe a little bit. <laughs> I was just having the wax, wax pull out. You feel philosophical there. For me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so do you have a certain piece of best advice you've ever received? A best? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good, uh, that's a, that's a whole nother hour. Yeah. Best advice I was ever given. You've, oh, you've already touched on a ton, but. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, I think probably the best advice, and I, like I said, we talked about the Steve August situation when I was in his office, and and it, that was it was the, it was the basically it goes back to the perseverance thing about not giving up. Um, if you believe, if you can believe you do something, you have to do it until you've exhausted all opportunities. Uh, the thing I hate more than ever, more than anything is some of these kids that come out of college, they get cut one time or they don't quite make it and they, they just give up and 
go about their business. And I just, football, football will never be there for your entire life. <clears throat> and it's only a short window that you can play. So if you have that opportunity, go pursue it. And that would be the same thing in anything else. Um, you know, if there's something out there that you want to do business-wise, something you want to do life-wise, um, and you have a dream and you have, and you, and you want to do it by all means, exhaust every possibility, um, you know, because we know, I mean, the hardest part of being a person a lot of times is the hardest part is admitting that the dream is over. Right. You know, and, uh, moving on with your life. But if you honestly have, have the ability to do something and you think you can do it, exhaust every option until you can't do it anymore. Yeah, that's, that's great advice right there. Uh, this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? Building excellence to me is, is you, are, you are putting in work. You're, you're putting in the work to achieve a goal, but you're doing it. The excellence part of it is you're doing it properly. You're doing it morally and you're doing it ethically. You're doing it the right way. There are no quick fixes. Excellence isn't built through shortcuts. Excellence is built through hard work, trials, errors, successes, and all those things. Um, there is no, there is no go in and cut out every carb in your life and lose a ton of weight, and then you're going to stay skinny the rest of your life. I know this. Okay, um, <laughs> excellence is built through doing things properly, and 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 you know what? And here's the other thing that people don't want to realize: doing things the right way. Sometimes there's some suffering. You're going to suffer a little bit. You're going to have to sacrifice a little bit. So it's, it's, it's doing those things, putting in the work, preparing, um, but doing it morally and ethically correct um, to, to obtain that, that excellence. Yeah, that's great. Well, Coach O, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing, uh, you know, your story, some of the lessons that you've learned. And also, you know, thanks for being a good coach. Obviously, you talked about Howard, about Billy, all those guys. You know, you coach and you make a difference and it's a meaningful impact that you made as a coach and continue to do today. So, but thanks for doing that. Thanks for being on the show. So. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me on. And, and again, um, being able to do a podcast with a guy that I used to coach is a cool thing too. That's all a part of it. That's yeah. all part of things. So thanks. Yeah. And, um, and hopefully we'll see each other soon. Hey everyone. It's Bailey miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. Now, if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Uh, once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.